Hello everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Kevin Wu, founder and CEO of Malaysian edible insect products firm Ento, on the mission to make insect consumption mainstream. So hello, Kevin. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, glad to be here. Very nice to have you here indeed, and I'd like to start by diving a bit deeper into your inspiration for setting up Ento. So what drove your line of thought leading up to this, you know, to forge your way in what is really a pretty niche area in food, I have to say. Yeah, so um, a bit about the contextual background. Uh, I, my technical and formal education was in law. And I very briefly practiced as a corporate lawyer prior to starting Ento. I think it was really during a time when I was a corporate lawyer that I felt that that wasn't really my true calling. And um, after I left the profession, I spent about two months traveling around the world. And when I was in Mexico City, I came across a taco stand. Uh, it was a really beaten up taco stand. And it was, I think it was during lunchtime, there was a long queue of people queuing up for these tacos. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I just jumped queue and just see what the class was about. <laughs> and to my surprise, it was like fresh tacos topped with grasshoppers and crickets. Mm. So I didn't hesitate. I queued up, waited 10 minutes and tried it. And when I bit into my first taco, I was extremely surprised how similar it tasted mm. to shrimps and prawns, mm. something I really loved. It was buttery, it was crunchy, it was right amount of salt. Um, I thought it was extremely tasty. Cool. So... I do need to ask also, like, have you had to deal very much with fearful consumers when it comes to this, which is very much like, you know, the ick factor? How have you handled these situations and, you know, or educated such consumers? Yeah, so really good question. And this is one of the most common questions that I get. So, you know, growing up in Malaysia and the UK, um, consuming insect protein or insects on a whole is not something common of that I'm familiar with. So it's quite a new concept to me. So when I was in Mexico, that was the first time I managed to try it. I thought it tasted like shrimps. So I knew that the, the, that the challenges of going into this business was the egg factor and also the cultural perceptions. And I think that was definitely the, the kind of on the business plan that was the, the most striking point uh, regarding this business. And I felt that I could actually get past and overcome this egg factor by creating products that mm -hmm. are familiar, especially if I powderize insect-based protein to end products like mm -hmm. bread or granolas or burger patty, mm -hmm. that I believe that with this new, these new products, we're able to actually uh, market it and make it more acceptable mm -hmm. to the mass consumers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned like, you know, powdering, you know, making it into more common products for uh, that consumers are familiar with. So I recall Ento first started off with uh, whole insect snacks. So now you're looking more into this sort of powder, powdering, proteinization sort of path. So how has this been going so far? Has it like, you know, have you seen much better results? Yeah, yeah. In short, uh, we've seen tremendous results uh, the moment we uh, moved from the whole roasted bug because that was our minimum viable product when we launched mid of 2019. Uh, so imagine the whole roasted crickets uh, and we season it with like barbecue, salted egg or kimchi seasonings. Mm. Of course, we've moved forward from that. Uh, we've managed to powderize it and then sell it to bakeries. And these bakeries mm. will turn it into sourdough bread or rye bread. Um, we're also selling to um, 
some bakeries that are turning into cakes such as banana cake, hummingbird cake, also cookies and, and whatnot. Um, and also right now we're currently in the process of creating one of the world's first um, Ento burger patty. So this makes um, inside-based protein much more palatable and much more familiar for consumers. So we believe that through this proteinization and familiarization of different products, we're able to appeal and attract uh, more consumers to getting on this bandwagon. Do you also feel you know, that a diet based on insects carries any benefits, whether in terms of health, sustainability, any others, over a plant-based diet, which is really on trend right now, of course? Do you think any one is better than the other? Um, I would always advocate for a balanced diet, uh, a balanced diet of consuming a range of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing, too much of one thing can also be detrimental. Mm-hmm to one's health. Mm-hmm. So um, I would advocate um, that consuming a variety of diet is a um, sustainable way forward, especially mm-hmm. if you think about 10 years ago, a decade ago, uh, we largely relied on meat uh, for our proteins mm-hmm. and you know every dinner or lunch or breakfast that involves a large mm-hmm. portion of meat. Mm-hmm. But we've seen a reduction of um, uh, meat consumption, which is great because um, I think most of the listeners would be familiar with the detrimental effects that mm. meat, uh, too much meat can have on our health and also the environment. So as the trend is moving towards plant-based diets, I'm really happy to see that, that we're um, actively um, varying our diets um, and that helps our health and also our planet. But also incorporating insect-based diets, um, especially insects are super high in protein, mm. in fact higher in protein in terms of mass compared to plant-based. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other studies of insect-based protein being highly f- high in fiber, high in iron, high in B12, um, and contains all the es- essential mm-hmm. amino acids. Um, these are certain components that uh, we are, will not be able to find in plant-based mm-hmm. uh, products. So um, I, think, uh, I think insects has a part to play. I'm not saying that everyone be consuming insects in the future, but mm-hmm. I think that it would be a very viable option, especially mm. with uh, familiar and tasty products and the right price point mm-hmm. for future consumers. Along those lines, I am you know, really curious about your thoughts on how you expect this whole insect-based protein, edible insect industry in the Asia-Pacific region to eventually sort of end up. Do you... Um, not, do you think this will become mainstream? I mean, not for everybody, but still you know, mainstream somehow? And if it does, how long do you think such a shift is going to take? Okay, um, imagine we have a time machine right, right here, right? And I want to take you back to 2009. And that's quite an important year because that was the year that Beyond Meat started. Mm. Uh, I would say the landscape is pretty much heavy on uh, meat-based diets. Mm. Uh, plant-based was limited to an extremely small section mm. in the supermarket. In fact, it was not very cool eating plants. And you go to most restaurants, <laughs> mm. you would see maybe just one plant option, if mm. any. Um, that's, that's the landscape 2009, and that's how Beyond Meat started. Um, they had to face an uphill battle, yep. um, basically why plant-based compared to a traditional meat-based products. And they had to battle a huge industry that is mm-hmm. lobbying for governments yep. to give subsidies, to promote it in schools, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And and really, they've had an uphill struggle. and. This is very relevant because I see Ento as being a Beyond Meat in 2009. Mm. A lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I would say, legacy habits and mm. issues, and also um, the supply chain and in terms of education. It's an uphill battle why we should consume insect-based protein. If we look at it from a pure science, nutrition, and mm. uh, standpoint, 
inside belly protein has a very compelling, many compelling reasons why why we should be adopting into our diets. Um, so I would think that uh, in 10 years time, uh, Ento would be able to appeal to a much broader audience. Mm -hmm. Perhaps not as widely as Beyond Meat has done, but at least half as, mm -hmm. or if we could achieve even half the impact that an education and Beyond Meat has done, I think that would be a real sense of achievement for the team here at Ento. Let's um, now shift focus a little bit to a bit of the entrepreneurial part of this podcast. So you mentioned you're a lawyer by training. So I do need to ask, how did you find yourself here as a food entrepreneur? I, I guess that, that I, corporate life wasn't really uh, what I wanted to do and where I saw mm. myself um, during my, my, my career. And that's definitely not where I wanted to spend my, the early stages of my career. I mm -hmm. think that I could afford to take much higher risks mm. uh, compared to if I was 40, 50 years old. Mm. Um, so, you know, at this age, I felt that, um, especially because I've always been passionate about food and sustainability, mm -hmm. and coming across this idea in Mexico and coming across this yeah. um, whole concept and industry of alternative protein and sustainable food mm -hmm. source, mm -hmm. um, I, th I think it's just a compelling sense of, um, of, of urgency to, to, to offer more sustainable products mm -hmm. in the market. That was what kind of drew me and to, to being a food entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So along those lines, could you perhaps share some of the personal and professional challenges you face in making you know, this, what I would say is a pretty big change from law into food entrepreneurship, you know, entering into the industry, to share some of those for us. Yeah, so um, how does one start a insect-based protein company? <laughs> um, well, it was it was tough, definitely for sure. You know, mm -hmm. anywhere from you know the moment you incorporate a company, you know, mm -hmm. stating what's the nature of business. Mm -hmm. Secondly, finding a premise, suitable premise mm -hmm. for your farm, finding a suitable talent to yeah. staff the premise to ensure that you can you're mm -hmm. able to farm crickets in the most efficient way, the most professional and most um, in the safest way possible, um, and then figuring out how to you know uh, build your marketing and mm. sales team um, to market these products, especially in an area and industry that a lot of people are not familiar with, mm -hmm. or even if they are familiar with, we are facing uphill challenge of yeah. the it factor and the cultural mm -hmm. stigma. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's been an extremely challenge. Professionally, it's been an extremely challenging. Uh, uh, business to be in, um, uh, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, two years, you know, in hindsight, if you can sell crickets, you can sell anything. <laughs> so it makes selling other products or services a lot easier <laughs> the moment you go through this kind of uphill mm. hurdle. In terms mm -hmm. of personally, uh, you do face the highest, you, you, you do experience the highest highs and the lowest lows like mm. um, of the journey of being an entrepreneur and running your own business. Mm -hmm. you know, anywhere from the day you get a phone call of an investor committing to mm -hmm. fulfill your entire round uh, and having that group of people believe in you and believe in your vision, mm -hmm. that was extremely high. But the lowest lows of you know, certain products or certain marketing strategy just completely failing mm -hmm. or falling flat, especially when you pin a lot of your growth and hopes on mm -hmm. a particular uh, particular, uh, I guess, plan, mm -hmm. and that falls flat. It, it can be extremely demotivating, and I think the personal challenge was really to keep going and move forward yeah. in the face of adversity. Is there anything you wish you had known when starting out in the beginning? You mentioned a time machine, so you know, if you had one of those, you know, anything you might have changed. 
Wow, uh, many things. Uh, there's a huge laundry list of things that I would have done differently. Um, you know, I, I just think that um, uh, I wish I'd known how difficult it was going to be. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't have probably started, started it. Um, but I think the key thing is that um, I wish I, 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 I was able to kind of find a, a co-founder or mm. partner who specializes in sales and marketing mm. uh, that would be extremely beneficial because you know i'm, I'm more on the technical side yeah. and the operational side um mm -hmm. i think finding a partner that is able to really drive sales and marketing and, mm -hmm. and know how to lead teams on the ground and mm. uh, set up a sales force uh, uh, that can tackle domestic and uh, mm -hmm. regional and international markets mm -hmm. um that would be, you know, someone that would be invaluable to this team. Yeah. So if anyone who is listening, uh, who has those skills, <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that was my next question. Are you still looking now? So you are. <laughs> All right. Let's see what our listeners yeah. uh, say. If anybody <laughs> responds to that. Okay. So I guess basically, what's next uh, for you and and so where do you see yourself and the company in the next twelve months and the next five years down the line? Okay. So um, since we are, you know, visioning forward in the future. I think, firstly, I would like to just reflect on how blessed and how fortunate we are to pull through the uh, pandemic. Mm. Uh, we're not we're not out of it, but mm -hmm. but definitely to, to make it to date and to continue to innovate and mm -hmm. develop and drive sales and drive revenues and mm -hmm. host investment rounds mm -hmm. and to bridge the company. I think uh, it's been a tremendous um, achievement. The team has mm -hmm. done extremely well. Um, how we see ourselves in 12 months is really to start to launch our burger patty, um, not just nationally, but also regionally in mm -hmm. select markets. Because um, we already have the prototype. This is what we call version one of the mm -hmm. burger patty. Um, some of you may may be fortunate enough to try our version one, <laughs> or unfortunate, that depends on you. Um, but definitely, um, I mean, I love this um, saying from um, from the CEO of Beyond Meat that, that their mission mm -hmm. at Beyond Meat is really to continuously innovate their products mm -hmm. and that the, the kind of main purpose and goal of the R&D team is to make their current products obsolete. Mm -hmm. So create a new line of products mm -hmm. that makes your, your previous line completely obsolete mm -hmm. and non-relevant. So for them, it's creating a, a, a burger patty that tastes better than a burger patty, a meat burger patty. So for us, it's really um, about that as well, as to mm. continue to in innovate from our enter burger patty version 1 to version 2 to mm. you know, all the way to hopefully version 10, 20 in mm -hmm. the market mm -hmm. that uh, we're able to create an extremely delicious um, burger patty mm -hmm. um, that has a strong umami flavor or you know can even incorporate to other familiar flavors mm -hmm. that people like, like lobsters or mm. wagyu beef. Uh, we That's our goal. Uh, in five years' time, I do hope that we are recognized as a kind of up-and-coming global player mm -hmm. uh, within the next five years. Do you have any advice for those out there who might be wanting to go down the entrepreneurship path, make a big switch like you did from law into food tech? I think especially if you are young with you know, very few commitments and you can afford to take the risks, um, mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend you start a company um, in not just food, but anything you're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many so-called early-stage accelerator mm -hmm. or early-stage investors out there that would be willing to back uh, young talent mm -hmm. um, doing something that they're passionate about, 
um, I think that there is definitely the opportunities out there, uh, more so than previously. So I would advise you know young, uh, young, the younger generation to definitely take risks mm-hmm. at an early age because when you have commitments and when you're more tied down, mm-hmm. um, it's a bit more difficult to do yeah. so. So the opportunity cost of um, starting a startup actually increases mm-hmm. exponentially as you grow older. Mm-hmm. So, like I mentioned, personally, I would probably would not be doing this if if I had uh, commitments like a family to to feed and house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's you know not a lot of people talk about it, but I think it's a real it's a real problem and there yeah. is a real opportunity cost mm-hmm. to running a startup because you know the, the statistically you're more likely to fail than than to succeed in a startup and i think that mm. this is a risk that um that is extremely high but mm. definitely um you know the the skills and the experience mm. gain of running your own company at a young age um mm-hmm. you just cannot substitute that because it's an it's extremely steep learning curve mm-hmm. um, especially when you're leading teams at a young age mm-hmm. when you're you know um, liaising with stakeholders such as uh, investors mm. or strategic partners mm-hmm. i think these are the skills that um that no matter what happens would be extremely beneficial mm. for any future careers what about um for you know people who are interested in the insect industry is there do you have any sort of like gems of advice there the first thing i would ask is what's new um there are new players there are new people uh, companies in the market I think you just really need to understand the market mm-hmm. extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, work out your supply chain. You know, are you in the farming business? Are you in the food tech business? Mm-hmm. Or are you in the marketing and distribution business? Mm-hmm. You need to ask yourself that. Um, that's that's the first question. Work out your supply chain. Work out what business you're really in. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, um, if once you let's say you identified you are in the marketing and distribution business, uh, what makes you different? Or why should yeah. Um, anyone buy from you because the market is growing but it's not huge that mm-hmm. we can have so many players mm-hmm. uh, that's the honest reality is no it's not mm-hmm. like um, let's say you know I, I, I personally think plant base is a bit saturated but it's still a growing market mm-hmm. um, but in insect base as well um, it's becoming saturated for the size that we're we're in right now mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that there's no opportunity for a company mm-hmm. to break out in mm-hmm. the crowd yeah mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Kevin, for joining me today. It was very interesting talking to you. A lot of very good sharing. Yep, thank you. Very, very glad to be here. Uh, thanks for your time, Freddie. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Kuna Asia, this is Freddie, signing out. <laughs>